Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5e's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Hi there, this is Mike Daniel from 19 Hits the Dragon, a discussion podcast where I sit down with some of my favorite creators in the tabletop RPG space and talk about various aspects of the games we all love to play and be big nerds about stuff in general. Maybe we'll edit that out, who knows? Ah, I have chills. If you spend 40 minutes trying to get as much info as you can out of that one guy at the bar, who clearly has nothing to yep. say. I know how to talk, it's something that I do all the time. God, Michael, what are you doing? Um, At face value, that statement sounds really shitty, I get that, <laughs> but. I mean, I'm already think, getting them to think there's a, a reptilian guy about four and a half feet tall with sharp teeth and, and a little dagger who goes, I'm gonna get you, you know? Um, and while the voice sells it a lot, yeah, like, uh, I'm brooding in the corner. I won't talk to anyone. Like, well, you're getting left yeah, behind because uh, the, the, the <laughs> castle's under attack, and if you're not going, sorry, right. bud. Uh, oh, you're finally awake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, we, we don't know anything about going off topic here at 19. It's the dragon always staying on topic always. So. I said yeah. a lot of bad words when I when you lost me. So. Uh-oh. <laughs> So join me and my guests every two weeks for insightful tips, tricks, and traps for players and GMs alike. Uh, We'll see you all there when 19 hits the dragon. Welcome everybody to today's episode. We are going to be talking about some breaking news on the Wizards of the Coast front, some new content that just got dropped within the last 24 hours at the point that we're recording this episode. So we're going to be diving into that. But uh, before we get into that, Glenn, Luanika, welcome. Good evening. How are things down south today? Wonderful, wonderful, sunny and stuff. How about you, Glenn? How are you doing? No, doing great. That's been a pretty good day. Got some adulting done. Feel all proud of myself. Yep. And I know that you have been working tirelessly on on the final Glenning, as we call it, on on our soon to be released book, Travelers of the Multiverse. It Mm -hmm. is coming. We promise it's coming. It's almost done. It's almost it'll be done soon. We promise. 
And uh, ladies and gentlemen out there listening, I will tell you the work that Glenn is doing to go ahead and take the mounds of excrement that Lee Wendika and I put together <laughs> to go ahead and actually make them like coherent sentences is nothing short of remarkable. Applause to you, good sir. Thank you very much. But we're all putting in a huge effort to yeah, try to no, make this happen. Writing is one of where one of my skills comes in a lot, yeah. but the amount of stuff that we do for to try to for the plot and the and it's been a huge monumental effort so applause to yeah. all of us just for the fact yeah. that we're going to put it out and it's going to be pretty damn good promise it's going to be pretty yeah. damn good it may i not, think it's going to be pretty damn good there's going to be some great stuff that people yeah. are going to enjoy at their tables yeah. i think so let's uh, let's get into our ttrpg of the <laughs> news our ttrpg news of the week for today glenn let's start with you tonight what is your state of the table so I want to talk to y'all a little bit about Spire. We talk a lot about D&D, but we've really been branching out into some other role-playing games. And one of the games I play in that one of our fantastic Patreons, my son plays in it with me and my wife Trish, and a, a number of other folks. It's a whole lot of fun. We just finished a really critical story arc that kind of brings us to like that end of campaign thing. And I'm super excited because I've decided I'm going to retire Vic. Uh, he's the guy I've been playing since the beginning. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's just straight up fighter type, but more dex based. And I'm going to try playing an Azur. And I know I didn't really give you all a whole lot of information about Spire, but it's a really cool game, basically all about being a drow in a city where you're subjugated by high elves, the Alfir, and you got like your own little underground resistance going on. But the Azurite's going to be a lot of fun. Because I'm going, it's uh, the the little blurb at the beginning of it is you are a trader, a deal maker, and hustler from the South Docks, clad in sacred blue and gold. You are welcome almost everywhere and have connections all over the spire from previous business deals and debts owed. Mm. Basically, I'm going to be a fixer. That sounds like a good time. Nice, intriguing. I'm a hustler, so baby. When Fiona first started playing in the Patreon actual play, playing Kess, the drow, I mm -hmm. wondered where that concept came from. And it sounds like it probably came from her running of Spire, which is which is really cool. So yeah, She likes to say that uh, she's going to be a game master. She's a Spire for life game master, I think is what she called it, or storyteller, because nice. she uses both terms. But yeah, she loves the game of Spire, and it is a lot of fun. I have a huge amount of fun with it. It's got a lot of the uh, the players create as much of the environment and plot as the storyteller does. The vibe to it, dice are only rolled when it's a critical scenario. Otherwise, you pretty much say, no, I think I do this, and unless it really violates plot, it happens. Yeah. It's a whole <laughs> lot of fun. It's very, uh, very improv and I love it. Nice. Awesome. All right, Lee Winnie, what have you got for State of the Table? So State of the Table has been inspiration. I'm getting ready to run a new campaign with the patrons, and I've been playing a few characters. I'm having a lovely time with play-by-post, but need some more inspiration and ideas to flesh out. I have the scaffolding, and I have a lot of the sections built in to this new campaign for the spy game that I'm running. However... I want to fill in a bit. I want to add some flavor and some contextual stuff to it. So in the vein of inspiration, I've been watching Jack Reacher. That show on Amazon was absolutely brilliant. Is it? I'm seriously, I've been thinking about watching it since I saw the ads because I loved him in Titans. That's why he left Titans. And had I known he was leaving for that reason, I would not have been as angry at uh, <laughs> the people behind the Titans for letting him go. Because all right, all right. it makes the fact that they, spoiler alert for Titans, they killed off one of my favorite characters in the whole damn show. Oh, I didn't know he died. 
oh, that hurts my heart a little bit, Lee, when he go, oh, I'm behind. Oh, my God. I knew he had to leave the show. I just didn't know he died. That's all right. I'll be all right. I'll recover. I'll recover. I'm bad. Continue. I'm, I'm, gonna, so I'm gonna mute myself just... so you can't hear my tears. <laughs> I feel like junk. <laughs> um... Oh, don't, man. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> but I would have been very angry, and I was until I watched this show. And it's another thing, almost like what we talked about in our Vox Machina episode. In the first episode, I knew this was going to be good. If anybody watched the Punisher season one where the Frank Castle fight in the jail scene and thought how awesome that fight scene was and how cool that was, how brutal and vicious that was, hold on to your blueberry muffins because this takes it to a different level. It was not as long, but it was a better fight scene. I don't say that about a lot of the Marvel Netflix fight scenes. There's not a lot that's better than those fight scenes because they're really well done. Jack Reacher got you. <laughs> it was on point and it wasn't just the main actor I think he's a great actor I loved him when he played Aquaman in Smallville I love him in the Titans he did Blue that's where else I knew him from he does such a great job with this character and I haven't read a lot of Lee Childs but I've read a little and I was sorely disappointed with Tom Cruise's depiction of the character I just didn't think it fit what I wanted to see for the character based on what was written. And uh, this actor, he's got it. He is what was written. And as proof of that, Lee Child is a an executive producer on the series. Lee Child actually makes a cameo in the final episode. I've been watching that, and because it's a modern take, and it has a lot of the investigation piece, and that's the piece for the spy game that's important. It's not just an action series of action heroes doing action-y things. It's also about the investigation. It's about the follow-through. It's about the little details. It's the mystery. It's the who's actually the boss, who's running the thing, and how those pieces in interconnect. So in order to figure out ways to weave that story, you have to immerse yourself in stories that are like that. And this is the show that's got it. I will be re-watching Jack Ryan, and I will be looking forward to the other Tom Clancy Amazon show with Michael B. Jordan. And I'll be finishing up uh, season two and three of Hannah as well, because those are nice. the types of shows that have that modern feel. They have that super spy aesthetic, those hot action sequences in various environments. And they have the what's the story behind the story. Right element and those are all the things that i want to bring into this game that that combination of daniel craig bond and born identity and those films those shows that i just watched so that's been nice. my thing get out there soak myself immerse myself in inspiration for the upcoming campaign sounds like great sources nice. of inspiration yeah inspired by your discussion of of tv shows before i get into my state of the table like specific news thing i just want to shout out to uh, for one uh start Trek Picard is back for season two. It yes. is, boy, the second episode of season two, if you have not seen it yet, uh, is I have not. incredible. It's just incredible. Q is, a son, Q is a son of a bitch, and that's just all that I'll say. That is that is just, uh, he's I've just seen, a son of a bitch. It's I knew Q was coming because I've seen the memes popping up sure, on Facebook yeah, yeah. where you got the two of them side by side. Q then, Q now. Yeah. Yep, he's and he's it's just fantastic. But I would be remiss if I did not say that this season of Superman and Lois has got me so sprung about what is going on. God, Bitsy Tuluk is just she is. I she thought come back that, for a crown because I know Lana was 
Oh, Lana, Lana was stepping two. Uh, Lana was stepping two. The, 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 the first half, I, the first half of the no season coming back. Yeah, though. absolutely. Yeah, Emmanuel Shikri, the first half of the season was That's definitely behind on two. Yeah, that's okay. I won't spoil it. I won't spoil it. But one uh, episode back on Superman, La- Lana Lana was rushing in. She was gonna. She was trying to go ahead and take the crown. And Bitsy, with her acting chops in these last in this last episode in particular, has taken poor Emmanuel Shikri behind the barn and put one between her eyes because she's killing it. <laughs> she's, she gave her the old it. yeller. <laughs> she gave her the old yeller dream. And oh goodness, just. <laughs> Yeah, oh, so good. This show is so good, and it just more people need to watch this show. I just wish that more people would watch this show because it is just so stinking good. It, but it is my, one of my guilty pleasures. And uh, yeah, uh, not, not, I I will not even call it a guilty pleasure because it's just too stinking good to be a guilty pleasure. Like, I, I love watching Love Is Blind. That's a guilty pleasure. Superman and Lois. No, it's guilty because I'll show. stay up too late. If I can't watch it during normal people hours, I will stay up till two o'clock in the morning to watch it. That's why it's a guilty mm. pleasure. Yeah. Because I'll be exhausted through the nine to five, try to catch some kind of catnap. So I'm on point for this, but I will stay up to watch Superman Lost. All that to go ahead and say, as much as I would love to go ahead and talk about just everything that's going on in the TTRPG world. We did have something specific that we wanted to talk about today, and that is Wizards of the Coast has put out their latest Unearthed Arcana. And this, with all excitement in my heart, we've got Dragonlance. We've got Dragonlance. We knew that Dragonlance was coming. They signed we did, we the agreement for the books. We knew it was coming, but now we have rules. We have things we know we have proof. <laughs> we have proof. Proof of you know, concept. We have proof of concept. We knew that Spelljammer was coming because we had proof. We know that Dragonlance is coming because we've got proof. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. am 100% in on what is in this UA. That's not true. I'm not 100% in. Some of the stuff no, is, is better. I'm some about 97.8. I'm going to go with yeah. 80. I I th- I think that the, I think there are some things that need some polish. And I am also cautiously optimistic. I do want to say we shouldn't get too excited about Dragonlance's release because I'm going to postulate they're going to wait to release that campaign setting until after the first book from Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman lands. In fact, I think it should be the campaign setting they plan on releasing that following spring. And I think that's what they'll do. Oh, you think it's going to be that far out? Yeah, because yeah, because the book um, comes out in August. So the book, the the novel comes out in August. Some okay. scuttlebutt. They could put it out for inter- Christmas. They could put it out for scuttlebutt Christmas. Scuttlebutt I've seen in the interwebs is looking like it'll be the November release. See, I thought that the book was going to come out closer to December. I didn't realize it was coming out in August. Cool. All right. Yeah. Yep, that's when the novel comes out. Now, we also don't know what the Wizards publication schedule for the rest of this year looks like. It was around this time last year that they announced that they were going to do five books throughout the rest of the year and then another book in January and another book in February. And now we've got the Nether Deep book coming out shortly. Well, the, yeah. Yeah. And and here a couple things about that that's important to know. From what I understand, again, scuttlebutt on the interwebs and some of the sources that I go to and have found great reliability on during 2021 is that Netherdeep was not considered part of the five Watsi releases that they were talking about. They were doing five books in addition to Netherdeep. They're yep. they're doing this sure. weird distance, but it's part of us thing with the critical role content. It's a yep. little odd. I'm not sure what that means long-term, but they're, 
it, yeah. it, it, it is slightly separate. So I think, and those are the same sources that are saying November, but with the issues with paper and supply chains that push back all their other projects as far as they did, is it going to push something off the schedule? So is five going to become three or four? Mm-hmm. Who knows? It, it's impossible I mean, for us to tell. They're yeah. not, they're pretty opaque about that type of thing over right. at Watsy. So we may not know, but in order to do five books with one coming out w- with the first one coming out in May, that leaves what June, July, August, September, October, November, December. That's five books in seven months. That's a tight release schedule. They did five books in five months to end out last year. And so they you did. Know, and let us be intellectually honest about this. They were not that good. I am hoping that whatever skin in the game Tracy Hickman and Margaret Weiss have in it, they will be able to keep it well done. But there's enough animosity leading to the court case and the ending of the court case and all the things resolving that it is impossible to know how much skin in the game they've got on the game product. That said, let's jump into yep. the UA. Let's, let's jump in. in. Let's dive in. So the the UA begins with uh, an introduction to the Kender as a playable race. I found this whole write-up of the Kender really quirky and funny. And I, I thought it was really I thought it was really well written when you're talking about the Kender in particular. Like the whole line about how how they tend to find themselves falling through gates and portals to other planes and realms. That's just a really funny way of saying that they find themselves in the right place at the wrong time sometimes. Very Kender thing. And I also thought that it was really a great nod that they provided justification for and removed the stigma that Kender are always thieves. I agree. That's one of the things I've got in my notes too. Because that was always a thing. And that was very much the baggage that the Kender had to carry is that everybody knew that the Kender were thieves. And so if you were playing a Kender, you had to lean into that because the Kender were thieves. And if there was a Kender in your party and something went missing, of course the Kender stole it because the Kender are thieves. And I liked the way that they leaned into this a little bit and provided justification for it by saying, everyone thinks they're thieves. That's not the case. They're just connected to the Feywild and stuff appears in their pockets. I thought that was a really creative way to go ahead and go about that. I like that for all of those reasons. And in my head canon, I said, so the idea is the Feywild creating like items when people lose their items, like some kind of Feywild parody in the universe. So if somebody loses a coin, all of a sudden the coin appears in the, in, in, in and, and so people will think that the Kender took it, but he never totally. did, or yeah, they never yeah. did. Uh, There's you all know, kinds of weird ways that you could go with that, because that the Kender never knows what he's going to find in his pockets either. Exactly. And I yeah. think that's an amazing way to do that. It gives homage to what was, but allows this character to be a lot more and be better used at yes. game table. Similarly, I love the fact that they are no longer 100% fearless. Like, you can't do fear on them. They said yeah, like that advantage. I think that was brilliant. As a storyteller, that's why I didn't like them. How am I going to have a character that can't be afraid it, 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 at all? You're right. Why? It, it was more that was the piece of the flavor I was having trouble letting go of. Was that, you know, Tasselhoff was completely fearless except for that one time when they were almost afraid once. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you're and, right. Advantage is a better mechanic. 
Yeah. Um, and that kind of illustrates exactly, if you look on the interwebs, there's all kinds of debate on whether or not since the UA came out, this new take on the Kender can do justice to what the Kender was supposed to be. And there's a lot of people that are offended and up in arms at the change for not being a thief and because they were childlike and innocent and it wasn't thievery, it was just unconscious. And I, I read a couple of different articles about it, but these are things that had to happen in the end in order for the Kender to evolve and move forward into a play the environment space. of 5e playable races today. You can't be a naive, innocent, childlike character. You can choose to play one, but you can't have a race of innocence. You need, they need to have the ability to be fully developed and have a full range of adult thoughts and ideas. And they need to not just be pigeonholed into being thieves. These things were necessary to open up the race to make it more like what 5e wants D&D to be. And I support it. I think that they did a great job with the way that they wrote it up. I agree with you 100%, Josh. The only thing I didn't like is the Kender Ace ability. Oh, I'm going to be honest. I didn't oh. like the name of it, but I like the ability. I think the name is lame, absolutely. But since when and how can you base a lineage ability, something about the development of your body and heritage, off of your class level? 90-some-odd percent of Kender never attained a level in a class. So does that mean that only Kender who are player characters or have class levels can have this ability? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. You're right. Narratively, that is challenging. I would say this, though. I think what they needed to do was have items that were less useful, more mundane, and take away the need for third level. Um, no, hear me out though. Okay. Almost one through three, you need X. And then once you hit third level, now for some reason, your magic is bigger, your connection is stronger, so you get different types of things. And I think that's the only way I think you could really do that because you're right. The whole lineage, everybody, the littlest Kender to the biggest Kender basically needs this. And that needs to happen at level one when you're fresh off the farm, even if you're staying on the farm. Further, I don't like the precedent because um, if the precedent stands, then we're going to see more races come out, not just from Watsi, but from third-party content creators to include possibly ourselves trying to compete and match. And I think it's going to add a level of complexity to the game that well, it didn't I think need and doesn't narratively make sense. Because if you take a look at any of the any of the lineages that have spellcasting abilities, they all many of them. They have a cantrip to start with, and then at third level, they have everything else. So I think the key is we already have a precedent for this concept. There's a special and cool thing, but what this fails to do is give it at the lowest level as well as the higher levels. And so there needs to be a way to, to structure this for those lower levels, and then it's no different and actually less effective than, say, drow spellcasting or drugar spellcasting or... Gnome spell, one of the gnome races gets it as spell casting. Smurfs or something, yeah. Smurfs Nevelin, which is the, uh, yeah. So, and which is exceptionally powerful, Smurf Nevelin. So I think it has a precedent to do it. I just don't think it does it as well or as elegantly as some of the more classic ones have already done it. Yeah. That's interesting. That part did not bother me, Glenn. Although now that you mention it, it is weird. I, I will, I am fully, I, I'm with you that it's weird. The part that, so I 
loved the, 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 the Kender Ace ability. I thought that it was hysterical. I loved, I, again, I loved the flavor of it. What I did not like is that the Kender can do it as a bonus action, implying that they can do it in combat. And I think that's going to be an issue when you've got a Kender who's able to go ahead and pull things out as a bonus action during combat, and now they're having to roll on multiple random roll tables or searching through the book, okay, which tool do I want during combat here? Saying that you can use it as a bonus action implies combat, and that's not the place in an action economy for this stuff. You don't Except want them- that someone's going to try to use it in combat, so they needed to establish the precedent. Someone's gonna, so they needed to create the rule. And, and, yeah. and to be fair, if I recall the books well enough, and it has been years since I've read them, there's at least a couple occasions where Tasselhoff was digging for stuff to help in various combat scenarios. So I think but there's also a list as a random roll. You don't get to choose which thing. One of them is you get your, if you roll a six, you get your choice of tools. Right. Yeah. So. Or I mean, if you if you roll a four, you you roll on the random trinkets table, and so now and right, yeah. So I, I just think, think that that's was, gonna be clunky. I agree, and that was part of it too. We're making you wait until third level, but what does this actually provide you? If you're five d six gold pieces that you can spend that disappear later, okay, great. But if you're in another situation and you open the bag and you reach in and what you happen to roll is a two, so you pull out a dagger and you have no control over it. It's not you can't reach in and get what you need. Something that someone said to us in one of our interviews about the Splinterverse books that, that, that they were working on at the time, you want to make sure the spell you're, use, you're creating is a viable choice. My yeah. problem with this is that these are not necessarily viable choices once you bring it into the realm of bonus action. I have no problem that it should be able to be a bonus action. It's just not viable choices. It's not even like the wild magic tables, which, if you recall from our per- earlier discussion, might provide um, some utility. Could provide some utility. Like right. I was used to wild tables that were all bad, and some yeah. of these were not all bad. So right. I was like, I can deal with these. When I had built the Her- the Herringon rabbit folk barbarian, who was wild, the wild magic one, because they were mostly useful. Even if there's one bad option, if all the rest were good, or good to okay then it wouldn't be a waste of my time to ever do it. My yeah. problem here is only one of these turns out to be actually useful unless you're building your Kender who's able to use any object as a weapon. The crowbar doesn't help you. So in that case, it's only got one option that's good in combat for the sake of combat. It's got one option that's good for the sake of escape, and everything else is really not combat-oriented whatsoever. Yeah, which means so your odds of getting anything that's useful is bad, but because there's a minor chance in a situation that was, it's basically going to use up a bonus action. If you're playing a Kendra who's a thief, you need your bonus actions. If you're playing anything, of, if you're playing anything that already uses a bonus action, this is a honey trap. Right. So that's my point. It's not just. That it's tied to third level, and that doesn't make any sense for the, in my opinion, for a your class level to impact a lineage ability. But it provides no utility. Hmm. Like even if you gave it to them for free, unless you're bl- you're blindly lucky enough to pull out the right item in the right situation, you could be in a situation where you really need money, and you say, "Let me see what," I, or just randomly, "Let me see what I find in here." Oh, will it be useful this time? Oh, nope, crowbar. Guess I can't really do anything with that right now. Stick it back in. And you just used your bonus action. 
or yeah. you're in combat and you're praying you're going to reach in and pull out something that saves the day and you pull out 5d6 gold what are you going to do throw it at the monster <laughs> it doesn't dragon, provide you any game benefit yeah but you don't get it till third level all right. What do we think about the taunt ability? That That's the other kind of big ability that the Kender get. They have the supernatural ability to hone in on a creature's emotional raw nerves and craft a taunt that flusters that creature. Target must succeed on a wisdom saving throw or it has disadvantage on attack rolls until the start of your next turn. So I love this. I do too. Because yep. do you know how easy it would have been for them to say, oh, psychic damage, like Tasha's hideous laughter or vicious mockery? Yep. It would have been so yep. easy to just leave it at that. And the fact that they just left it as it makes your day difficult. A disadvantage. I yep. love it. I, I think yep. it summarizes the taunt ability perfectly. I think it's great. And it scales just the way we want it to. Yep, absolutely. Uh, eight is a great place to start. It matches all kinds of other abilities that scale up. It's like a spell casting, yep. a, sa- a save or whatever. No matter what your class is. And then you add your your charisma modifier, which is what it would be. Would it, what yeah. it would be. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, I love taking a base eight, adding an ability score, and then proficiency modifier much more than 10 plus proficiency modifier. I think that's a much better way to go ahead and do it. It adds a little bit of flavor into the mechanic there, which I really like. The one thing, and I, I agree with you guys, I loved the taunt ability. The one thing that I was a little sad about was the limiter that said that they could they can only use it the number of times according to their proficiency bonus. I get it. I wish that there was a better way to limit. This is the one time that I can think of that, like I'm looking at a limit on an ability that's based on proficiency bonus. So it's going to scale as they level and everything like that. And I'm looking at it and saying, I just wish that there was a better way to limit this particular ability because it seems like low level Kender should be able to taunt more than one or two times. But I think because the mechanical benefit of that taunt is so strong from game balance, you have to limit it. And that's, so it's, it's not, I don't think it's bad. I think it's actually very well written that they limited it that way. I think that it's a good thing that they limited it that way, but it makes me a little sad in the heart that they did it. You know what I mean? That's really what it comes to. They had to. So let's narratively change that concept just a little bit. So say you taunt all the time, right? You, you yeah. taunt in every fight. You taunt all day long, but yeah. your skill grows as you get older. And there's only a couple of times a day at first where you hit everything just right to really yeah. set somebody off. And then as you get bigger, You've done it more, you've practiced, you get better. So now instead of one or two times a day, you yeah. g- come up with a good zinger. You wind up able to do it four times, six times. Yeah. But just it reflects that growth. I, I get it. Yeah, I do. I absolutely understand it. This was the one time, though, that I was actually looking at a limitation on a power and said, you know what? Maybe this one shouldn't scale. And they should just say, you get to do it the number of times equal to your, chariz- to your charisma ability modifier. All the time. So so then it's just based on the flavor of the character. And that's why so it's like, yeah, my charisma modifier is plus three. I get to do it three times all the time. And that's just the way that it is. I, I think that, and I know that this is going to be sound, this is going to sound totally bizarre because we talk about scaling and everything like that so often. And, and they have here done exactly what we have said that they should be doing more often. And I think for the first time I looked at this and said, no, you know what? I don't know that I want this one to scale. I think that I want this one to be a static number. <laughs> I agree. You know? And so the reason somewhere- I agree is because this isn't a class it's not a feat it's not a subclass this is a lineage it's a lineage and so it's just the way they are yeah somewhere so it's it's somewhere at watsy headquarters there's a guy in a boardroom with his ear to our (laughs) podcast going damn it i thought we got this one those sons of bitches my cabbages (laughs) uh, i disagree with you i think it's fine like this i don't want it to be another thing i i guess 
agree to disagree, but the other options wouldn't have hurt me. As long as this flavor was there, I'd have been happy with either yeah, one. Yeah. I just think this was of, of the three options we've just talked about. I think this is the best option. Yep. I love the ability as written, but I see yeah. where you're coming from because it is probably this one of, at least among the strongest lineage abilities it I've really ever is. read. Yeah. And this isn't the only ability that the Kender get. That's the other kind of sideline. So, yeah, and I know we've been seeing a power scale increase, but by the time they've got Brave and the Kender Ace and Taunt, they're pretty stacked. And yeah. Taunt by itself, the way it's written, ain't no joke. I will say one more thing about the Kender before we move on. For all the flavor text that they put at the beginning of the Kender write-up, the fact that they didn't actually make them fey creatures feels weird. And now that I'm listening to us talk about the abilities that they get, I wonder if they didn't make them fey as a game balance. They didn't yes. want to give them all these abilities and then make them fey on top of that. Because right. resistance to charm, resist yeah, resist charm, charm, all, charm, all stuff. that yeah. stuff. Yeah, that have been way over the top. Yep. So, yep. you know. Instead, the magic anomaly will explain it instead of, you know, having the, the fey yeah. lineage. Yep, fair enough. All right, let us move on then to the sorcerer subclass, the Lunar Magic Sorcerer. And I am glad that I read this a second time because mm -hmm. the first time that I read through it, Glenn, you and I were talking about this earlier today. The first time yep. that I read through this, I was like, oh man, this is just going to be a ton of storyteller overhead because now they're going to need to manage what the phase of the moon is mm -hmm. as they're playing so that this sorcerer gets the abilities or not, depending on what they're in. I misread it as a campaign forward as opposed to character forward, but it's not that. The character decides what phase they are and therefore they get those powers. I thought that, that was much, much better. What did you guys think about the about the subclass in general i really like the subclass i really got the flavor for it i like the way they worded it though i am looking forward to seeing a little more detail in a campaign setting as far as the actual order itself or orders themselves mm -hmm. but as far as the player facing part of it all in just all in I like yeah. the transition that they made to level up this character type and this option and the Wizards of High Sorcery to the 5e game from its 2e roots and its 3 mm -hmm. and, and its 3-5 efforts as well. That is exceptionally well received from one of the original fans of Kryn. This was one of the hurdles I was worried about hitting 5e with Dragonlance. I really worried about this and the lunar cycles and all that. It's very similar to, it's a different version of what they did with the Aladrin. Every so often, I forget what the cycle for the Aladrin is. I believe it's every day they wake up and decide their season. And then they have those abilities for that day. That's right. what That's this fair. is. And this is well done. Well, yep. I really did uh, enjoy the lunar sorcerer subclass. And, and I went into it like, how are we going to make this work? And then I got the same misconception that you did at first, Josh, because I skimmed ahead without getting details and saw the the phases of the moon, then the phase that you're in and yeah. got a little bit concerned. But in the end, it's really well written. It fits beautifully with the world of Kren, exactly like you were saying, Liwanika. And I know, again, we're seeing a scale up in power, but this is stacking a wizard subclass more than a wizard subclass has been stacked before. Is it more powerful than the, the subclass that was in Fizzband? Is it more powerful 
than the Draconic. I don't know about With that. The clockwork one. Yeah. Or the clockwork one that from uh, or, or whatever. Is it more powerful than those? Mm, maybe. Uh it's certainly more powerful than some of the lesser powerful ones. I is it more powerful than the celestial? Yes, probably. Okay. But again, but again, that has a different kind of role play need and niche. So who cares? I think it is edging, but I don't think it's so far out in front that it's a clear yeah. this is the best thing you're ever going to get. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's the best thing you're ever going to get. I think it's an indication of the way that they're going to start developing subclasses. And I'm not completely complaining because if you'll recall. I was saying that most of the flavor should come from a subclass. Mm-hmm. So this isn't a complaint. It's a, yeah. it, but it is I, a note I, of I increase in power scale significantly over what we've seen before. We say not that much more powerful, but the Clockwork Sorcerer has one list of spells that expands their sorcerer's repertoire, not three that they can switch through daily and then later as a bonus action based on a level six ability. And on top of that, they also can cast one one time without expending a spell slot clockwork doesn't get that nope they get the moonfire ability for the sacred flame cantrip with the bonus of being able to do it to two targets within five feet of each other yeah it's not bad this again is not a complaint i think it's awesome and i think it's the way that subclasses need to go lunar boons is amazing lowering the metamagic cost is exactly what you want to do Yes. Exactly. Yeah. As a sorcerer yeah. subclass, this is in, in, amazingly powerful when you start considering what it can do for meta magic. Here is my concern. And this is the same because I actually just looked back at the subclass sheet. We said the same thing about a ton of the sorcerer subclasses. So I think that it is consistently written. It's level 14 and level 18 abilities are garbage. They're bad. I They're like just the 14. Bad. I think the 14 was a fantastic sixth level. I like the 14 also. Look, it gives you, depending on which phase you're going with, it mm-hmm. gives you uh, light when you need it. You've got uh, dexterity or stealth when you need it. So you've got, you can be basically do this in a couple different ways. And depending on who you're fighting, if you know you're going into a big battle against a guy who does radiant damage, bam, I'm mm-hmm. Crescent Moon all day. <laughs> Because resistance I mean, to that is going to be good. Great. I think that's it's 14th level, but sorcerers are not as spleeny as wizards at all. And on top of that, since constitution is likely to be your second stat, you're likely sorcerer. To, oh, yeah. Concentration. Right. You've got limited spells. No, if you're going to no, have concentration, fair. you can't be milking around with that. And when I build sorcerers, it's my number two. Even my 15 year old, when he built his sorcerer, his sorcerer's got is tanky because he not only did that, he he went and got the tough feet because he wanted yeah. to make sure he was not going down for on the shirt. Sure. But you add a resistance as a, I can just do this when it's appropriate. Man, that's some sweetness. The last ability in the 14 is the only weak point. The resistance to necrotic and radiant, it is powerful, but it is very situationally specifically powerful. If you're yeah. not... If you're not facing something that deals necrotic or radiant damage, that ability will never, ever have any use whatsoever. And that's its problem. That's why it reads funny. That's its only weakness. But the first two are good. Being able to have basically a paladin aura on you all the time to give advantage to saving throws to other people in your party or just having all attack rolls be at disadvantage against you if you have a build that puts your sorcerer into combat. I I think that came out pretty solid for 14. 
the level 18 incarnation needs a little help, but it's actually yeah. not terrible. It, it's not terrible. My big complaint about the level 18 ability is that you can only do it one time or you need to recast it by expending five sorcery points. So, Either less sorcery points or a specific number of times or a day. Specific, or, you or, you know, again, Except like, you're forgetting you know, that or, if that falls in the right type, I believe you can get the reduce that. Is that, there, or is that not a spell? Uh, no, it's it's the the lunar runes ability where you can reduce it, but that's not a spell, uh, so it doesn't work. It doesn't right, right exactly. So Can't be- proficiency bonus would be too powerful because but- it's the alpha ability. So at level eighteen, you're getting <clears throat> what seven times seven. Maybe times, the number of maybe a number of times equal to your charisma modifier a day. Yeah, uh, something like that. But that's. I also thought that uh, the level eighteen ability. My biggest thing would be that that first one. For the full moon, that needs to be for your 18. That should be an AOE heal to every person that's in, or maybe up to six exactly. or something exactly. in your group, and it should match the damage. Not one. Yeah. That, that's yeah, the totally. one thing that I said that this one really needed to, to push yeah. it up. <laughs> and that that's that's what I'm saying here is that as level 18 ability, it is, it's not all there. And I get that the level 14 ability is nice. Just I just think that level 14 ability is too late at level 14. I'm big on 14. I like the ability. I just think it's in the wrong place. I would have rather see it switched with something at level uh, one of the level six abilities, probably not waxing and waning because that's also too late at 14, but maybe the lunar boons, maybe something like that, switch those around. I don't know. But I thought at 14, it was too late. I do think lunar boons would be a better 14. I would be happy with a swap. I'd be okay with that switch. Yeah. Yeah, Lunar boons is pretty damn solid. Yeah. That's that's where I was going with And and also, it could be exceptionally powerful in the level where it's at. Yeah. And think about this too with Lunar Boons, right? One of the, the, if you pick New Moon, one of the spells that, one of the spell schools that you get is Evocation, which can take, which includes Sacred Flame, which as a Lunar Sorcerer, you also get for free. What was the bit about, about Sacred Flame? People within five feet of each other. Yes. There it is right there. So now you have a spell that you can double cast at less cost because your new moon that you can already target two. So if you twin that, you can actually cast it at four people for l- less sorcery points than you would be able to normally and only be able to shoot it at two. So like that's an incredibly powerful combination. So yeah, you know, that could be game breaking. Eh, yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Be- being able to target four people with a can with, with a sacred flame cantrip. Yeah. It's not. No. <laughs> All right. But we'll send them feedback. Hopefully anybody out yeah. there listening, if y'all run one of these or play with it or have any thoughts, yep. you'll send them feedback too. And we have actually seen changes come between the UA and the stuff coming out. So they are yeah. at least to some degree paying attention to said feedback. So let's so, make sure we send it in. Yeah, that was definitely, and I was going to say this at the top of the show, but I didn't. That's also my concern with this is that I really like this. I'm curious what we're going to see when the book actually comes out and how different yeah. it is. Like, Strixhaven, there, there is room here to make major changes to this content. And we look at what happened when they had to do that with Strixhaven, and it, the result was not good. So True, true. You know. All right, Mr. Miller, backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah. So 
talk to me about the Knight of Solomnia. So, hearkening back to all many of our backgrounds conversations and our conversations about what's cultural versus lineage, what's cultural versus class, how do we get different things? Leaning into that conversation, I said, I really liked one aspect of 3.5 where there were feats that were specific to regional areas and that that were there. And then as a storyteller, they were not overly powerful, but they were very flavorful. So as a storyteller, I would add those things to give people those feels. This is really getting into that type of storytelling. It's getting into that type of background. So with the Knights of Salamni, you're really getting a really nice background. It does all the things that a background should do. But then what it does is it just creates this situation where now you can do other things. So like you have this background, you can take the feats, you can become a knight and it works for any class as long as you have either the feet, you have to take the feats to become a knight of Salamnia, but the background is there. Right there with you, man. I think that the Knights of Salamnia background, the way that it's written is fantastic. And I love what they did to, to nest everything together between this and the, the wizard. Yeah. The uh, the wizards of high sorcery, Ooh, mage of mage high, of high sorcery. sorcery, and the mage Sorry. of high sorcery. I think that what they did here is like elegantly beautiful, creating the background feat, which is actually useful when you go and look at the feats, which we'll talk about in a minute. Mm. That comes with becoming a knight of Salamnia, but in order to get the further feats, when you choose your order for rose crown and sword, the prerequisite is you already have to have had of course, the the initiate feat that you get with the background. But you don't have to have the background. You could be a guy who meets a Knight of Salamnia and at level 8 takes the initiate feat and at level 12 chooses his order. Love the way that works because if you start the game or you start your adventuring career, I want to be this, you're a little bit ahead, at least three levels ahead. But if yep. you figure it out along the way, or if the campaign goes that way and you meet the knights, it's, man, I was just a fighter, but now I really want to do this thing. Guess what? Now you can do this thing. Uh, right. Okay. And, and it's built is- into the game with a time perfect. gap that's necessary, too, because you need two feats to do it. Yep. That's perfect. All right. I am going to rightfully, I think, throw some cold water on both of you because Uh-oh. I think you are so wrong. I liked the background when I read the background too. And I was like, oh man, feet as a background ability. We've seen that for precedent. We know that's the direction that they're going. Isn't this fantastic? And then I started going through. I got to the feet section. Oh, feet trees. I've been looking for feet trees since 3.5. This is amazing. Fantastic. Did either of you guys actually read the Squire feat? Yes. Okay. I'm going to read it again because now you've got me scared. Yeah. I have notes on it too. We just weren't talking about feats yet. But this is the primary feature of the background is the feet, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So the feet gives you three things. Mm-hmm. gives you weapon proficiencies. Fine. Background thing. Get it? No worries there. Uh, you get advantage on saving throws when you're mounted. Yep. Mm-hmm. When has anybody ever played the campaign when they're mounted? Acknowledged, but that's the same for any knightly order. Fair. And we also said that the Cavalier was sucky for the same thing. Here's the big ability that the Squire feat gives you. You can grant advantage on a saving throw one time. 
what does Indomitable do and what level does a fighter get it at? Ten. Once per day, they can redo a uh, saving throw at level 10. I knew it was mm-hmm. eight, 9 or 10. Yeah, and that's right. a class so, ability, not a feat. I know. I get it. But yeah. for as a feat, I can give that ability to anybody that I can see within 30 feet as a reaction. I think that's mm-hmm. hot. I would take it. But my one note mm-hmm. on it, and it's what I'll send to them, and hopefully we'll get a chance to play test it, is I think that it's too limited. It needs too limited. Because that's yeah. the main thing, it needs to have either more than one use or it needs to be once per short rest. I yep. would definitely say once per short rest would be fine. I, I think more than that would be way, would be way mm. too much. That, so that was the other thing that I, I think that in general I saw in this UA. They seem to be getting away from short rests. Look at the way that they handled, and we'll get into this in a little bit, look at the way that they handled hit dice and look at the way that they had everything hinging on long rests. There's very little mention of short rests in this at all. Yeah, I don't like what they're doing. That's the one thing I don't like is the the hit die paying mechanic that they've got going on here. I don't like that at all. Yeah. We'll get there in a second because I I think we I think there's also some very fair criticism about their use of hit dice in here. But all that to go ahead and say, like the Knight of Salamnia background, the the only thing the Knight of Salamnia background really gives you is a is a I think a bad feat. Glenn, you think a pretty good feat. A decent feat. A decent feat. And I would drink it on the lower end of decent. It's not a feat that I would take. I think it's decent, but I think is it as powerful as any of the feats that go with the Strixhaven classes? No, but those are spellcasting ones. But I think the idea is to not make a squire better than a seasoned vet. Totally fair. But how can we say the background is good if the abilities that the background gives you are bad? Because I don't decent. think they're bad. I think they're okay. And I think when you pair that with the background, it makes a nice package and one that I would definitely take. What else about this background? What else about this background is so sexy to you that you would take it when you only get a decent feat for it? Because later so on, background, I can be a- Backgrounds are about more than mechanics. Backgrounds are about flavor. Backgrounds are about narrative. Mm-hmm. Backgrounds are about who you are. And I get where you're coming from on that perspective, because from there as a background, this is lackluster. But when you're reading UA, you got to expect that in the narrative. They're not writing you the narrative flavor that's going to go in front of, hopefully, the Knight of Salamnia actual background in the book, because they don't need to right now. They want you to playtest the mechanics. They're trusting your own brain to know the lore of the Knights of Salamnia and know how cool they are and want to be a Knight of the Rose. Mm-hmm. And then thus, they're giving you the mechanics to get there and they want you to play test it. So for that narrative piece, it is lackluster, but I think that's common in the UAs. Okay. Maybe. Here's my counterpoint to that, though. So if, Luminika, you're saying that the reason why you take this background is so that you can become a Knight of the Sword, why not take the Knight background and then this feat, right? The Knight background basically uh, gives you the NPC retainer and I'm trying to remember the mechanical benefit here, but- Doesn't give you survival. Correct. It gives you its athletics and religion. So it's a different skill. So again, depending on the campaign, that might be better. Okay. The soldier background, I think, is much stronger than the night background. I use the soldier background all the time. It's one of my my favorite backgrounds. So is this better than the soldier background? Mm, It depends on what I'm doing with the character. Would I do a soldier than this? Yes. Would I do this instead of a soldier? Yes. It really depends on the type of character I'm making. But if I'm playing a character from level one to whatever, I think this with a level one, it could be a rogue. 
it could be a fighter. It could be anything. A level one character starting with this really sells the, hi, Mr. Knight, I want to be your squire much better than a soldier. And I think narratively also part of the difference is when we're talking about a squire of Salamnia, it seems lackluster when you're saying some of the other abilities that come with the feat, like you gain mm -hmm. proficiency with medium armor and martial weapons. Yeah. But you don't have to be a fighter to be a knight of Salamnia. You could be a bard. You might Paladin, not have previously yeah. had medium armor. You might have only had light armor. That mm, could be a benefit. There's no getting around it. The defensive writer thing, it's weak, just like all of the stuff that they tried to they failed to put in when they were saying which one was supposed to be born to the saddle, but then had absolutely no abilities that gave them Cavalier, I believe the Cavalier, yeah. Yeah. But encouraging rally though it does have those limits we were talking about you got to remember that by getting it as a feat and you're not going to get a super high powered feat because feats do have different power scales right you're not sure. going to get a super high powered feat in a background anyway but that's effectively making the feature of a knight of salamnia the ability to use your reaction to let one of your friends reroll a saving throw which is a critical ability that is more crucial than an attack roll what do either the soldier or the knight give you that compares to that not arguing that it's not the most powerful feat. It's a flavor feat, but it also adds something serious to that background. Indomitable's no joke. I have cursed myself for forgetting I had it when mm -hmm. I should have used it. And the times when I remembered to use it, I was like, hell yeah, I'm the man. Yeah. But yeah, I, I guess I, and it is entirely possible that I am getting blinded by the limited use of the feet and i get that they're i get that because they're attaching it to a background they want it to be somewhat limited they want it to be lower power i think it needs i think you need to be able to do it more and i don't disagree with that i would say once per short rest would be the better way to do it there does seem to be a, a drift away from short rest i don't necessarily yeah. agree with that my campaigns use short rest much more frequently than long rest as a means of recovery a long short rest, rest Long rests are what we do at the end of the session. The short rest, rest mechanic basically is a stopping point between major scenes. So using it as a mechanic basically limits the ability to being able to use once per major scene, yeah. whether it's social or combat, because it could go either way. And that's sufficient, I think. I don't think you could give it more than one use aside from that, because if you gave it two uses in the same scene, it's too powerful, especially from coming from a background. How about the uh, Mage of High Sorcery background? So again, very similar to the to the other one, to the Knight of Salamnia feat background, rather, where you're getting a low level feat to start. Although I actually think that the initiative, the initiate of High Sorcery feat is better than the Squire feat by a I agree. substantial margin. I liked this one better than the other one, and I thought that maybe two is a flavor that speaks to me more. I, I liked the flavor better. I don't know. What'd you guys think? You went. I hear your evaluation of your own thought process and agree that's probably what happened. I truly did this, and I did, and I did like it better than the other one, but that's more because I love Raceland more than I love Sturm. That is what it is. <laughs> yeah. At me. Yeah. I will win that fight every day. Um, <laughs> but yeah. so in that regard, I again, it was just one of these things that as it is written just here, and they could tweak it, make it better, they could do a couple things with it or whatever, yeah, but as it's written here, I could envision the characters from the book played this way. Yep. 
and and that to me is why I liked it. That's actually, and I didn't say that about the Knights of Salomnia. That's also why I like that. I could envision Sturm played that way. Yeah, and in that regard, you can't ask more of a tabletop game to depict the stories in a novel, even yeah. though that novel came from a tabletop game. Can this character be depicted this way? Yes. If yes, this is good. Period. Yeah. Period. It's good. I, that's exactly what I see, and that's why I like it. Yes, yeah. it's slightly more powerful, but in Kryn, magic is, guess what? More powerful than the Knights of Slot. Yeah, yeah, that's in fair. General. Yeah. So it's supposed to be. <laughs> I also really I, I liked these trinkets better than the nightly trinkets too. I, I thought the sorcery trinkets were just were just better. Like uh, number four, there a purposeless device covered in colored stones that can fold into various enigma- enigmatic shapes. I'm sorry, but that's it's a little Marchand box from Hi- from Hellraiser. Like you don't want to be playing with that. That's not yes, something you that you want sitting around in your pocket. No, you really yes. don't. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, just like the other one, they did a great job of kind of laying the the groundwork for how to bring the mages of high sorcery into the new 5e world and i really liked the way that they addressed with the exception of the fact that yeah there's some it brings alignment into it and i'm not a big fan of always using alignment but i like the way they adapted the the different orders as well so that for the white moon for the what used to be considered the good order the alignment is any non-evil you don't have to be good. And for the black, it's any non-good. You don't have to be evil. You could be neutral and still be of the black. It doesn't mean you're evil. They did a good job with the way that they brought it together and brought that up. But They yeah, put they, some they, nuance they, in there. They did. The, the, and the, but the feat is stronger. And it, I love that it ties directly into how all of the feats that follow it, whichever way you go, and that the, the feat tree work. Yeah. When you choose your spellcasting modifier in initiative high sorcery you're setting the skill mod the skill that's going to get increased or affected in future let's get into the feats and glenn we talked about this earlier about how we had thoughts about how they used hit dice for a lot of these feats my first instinct when i saw this was that Oh, they've put in a feet tree. I'm in for it. I love it because I've been looking for feet trees since 3.5, like I said earlier. And this one's fine. I didn't have any major beef with it, but I did think that the way that they used hit dice was interesting. Glenn, what were your thoughts on that? You said you had... had So it's not balanced, for one. The Knight of the Rose, your hit die plays into it, but you don't spend it. Knight of the Crown, I'm going to the other one. Knight of the Crown, you don't have to spend anything to use your ability either. Anyone yep. within 30 feet of you making an attack roll against a creature that's in the five feet of you is your reaction to grant advantage on the attack roll. But for some reason, the Knight of the Sword, in order to use their important ability of willpower, have to spend a hit die. They have to expend their own hit die that they could roll now. Not They won't have it in the short rest. They have to recover it during a long rest mm-hmm. in order to be able to grant that hit die's rolled as a bonus on a wisdom, intelligence, or charisma saving throw. Now, uh, a saving throw is an important role. I get that. But costing me a hit die to use my ability that the other and the other guys don't get cost the hit die, I think that's lame. But aside from that, explain to me narratively how me using effectively a piece of my own life force as a knight of the sword. This isn't a magical ability. This is me somehow inspiring you to do better. Yeah. How does with, me with your own willpower? Yeah. Is it like do I do it like this? 
if, if you're trying to make a fear save and you fail, and I'm like, don't be afraid of him. Be afraid of me. Watch this. And I chop <laughs> off my own freaking finger. <laughs> that's how I expend my hit die. How does me spending a hit die inspire you to pass? It makes no sense. Now, yeah. you spending a hit die makes sense. Major pain. You, you want me to help take your mind off the pain? Let me say your finger. Yeah. Let me break your finger, take your mind off of it. But no, it makes no sense. It, it's yeah. totally out of place. That's my opinion. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. Can of worms that you didn't know you were stepping into. No, totally. I, I totally agree with you. That the, 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 the expenditure of a hit, and that's kind of the point that I was getting at earlier, where it's like expending a hit die has one and only one kind of recourse, and that's that short rests are less effective. And so it's you're bartering against a short rest for a temporary reward. And I get that that's the resource management portion of what they're trying to do here, but it just doesn't seem – it didn't resonate. It didn't resonate with me. If you look at it mechanically from a resource management period, we don't want you to do this too much. It makes sense. And we want it to cost you. It makes sense. It's logical. Emotionally, it makes no damn sense. Yeah. It's bardic inspiration. It doesn't have to be a hit die. You could give them an inspiration die. Yeah, exactly. As a feat, exactly. Like you could just you do can that. You get maneuver so you... dice from feats. This is. Yep. There was a yep. better mechanic to make this work. Same ability, yep. use a different mechanic. Yes. Now, yep. I love the flavor that they've still designed between these three feats to show the distinct differences between the three orders of the Knights of Salamnia. Yep. It's just that mechanic needs help. Yep. Totally agree. And at least they made – it seems like uh, they have learned their lessons from how they bunged up the feats in Strixhaven where it was like they were all the same, just had very little variations kind of thing. It seems like they have learned their lesson from that and these feats are more distinct. They are better crafted than the feats in Strixhaven. So there is definitely that. You're you're not wrong. And I, I made this statement like I want to play Knight of the Swords because I just think oh, they have the coolest name. Mm-hmm. But in Knight of the Crown, that ability is awesome. I love yep. that tactical teamwork. Yep. Uh, that's so fun. And it's better than the other kind of defensive feats too. Like because <laughs> yeah. there are a lot of feats that sort of like you said this earlier, Glenn. Like there are other feats that like, hey, I'm going to take a hit for the guy that's next to me, or I'm going to deflect a shot instead of having it hit the, the woman next to me on that side, or whatever. Like that's like they have there are a bunch of feats like that. And I think that this one's better than the other ones. So Glenn, try this on for size. A certain Warforged battle master you know takes that feat. How cool would that be? And it makes sense narratively, too, because you're talking about teamwork. So if yep. me and Lee Wanika are, are in melee, and he's his Warforged. No, in this instance, if you're your Warforged, I get to be Zendred, so Josh gets to be the bad guy. Hephaestus is fighting evil abjurer Josh up close and personal, and Zendred takes a ranged shot. I'm 20 feet away. The teamwork is what comes in there, and it's mm. coming. So you do something to distract abjurer Josh. Next thing you know, bing, bang, boom, Bob's your uncle. He's got an arrow in his butt. Well, th- thankfully, I'm not going to have to worry about that for five more levels because he has to take the squire feet that he's never going to use first. Except he's a battle master. I got two feats coming in the next f- three levels or four mm-hmm. levels. All right, fine. All right. So you're going to use both of them. So you're going to take up both of those slots to go ahead and get that ability. As a matter of fact, I was actually at the point where I was going to just take ASIs because I pretty much covered the things I wanted. Yeah, with fighters, that's easier to do than most other classes. Yeah, Yeah, that's fair. Nothing for nothing. But but they did a great job with the adept 
feats as well and how they play off of the magic initiate and giving the flavor of the black robes, the white robes, and the red robes. But again, we do have that hit die yep. expenditure. And the black robe ability of life channel, it life makes channel, more sense in that instance. Better. Yeah, that one but, I think made more sense. And, and it's a solid ability, but costing you your hit dice is still pretty not friendly. Less critical possibly for a magic type than a front line type mm-hmm. however yeah uh, fighters and, and fighters rely on those hit dice for healing in between combats i also think if you take life channel which is basically allows you to go ahead and expend hit die and do additional damage again we talked about how powerful that sorcerer subclass was because of its ability to play into its own meta magic yeah now that's again where yeah. where the same thing like you've got a sorcerer with with this uh, now you're a black plus meta magic. Sor- it's the ultimate push it's like you get like a 10th level sorcerer that can expend all 10 hit dice to go ahead and do additional damage. That's a potential 80 additional damage coming at you. And it can be metamagicked at, you know, Sacred Flame. I can go ahead and spread 80 additional points of damage on top of that, that what, 66 or 5d8 or whatever Sacred Flame is doing it that I can hit over four targets. Like, goodness like that's mm-hmm. that's a world of hurting on this and so i i agree with you i think that it made more sense on the magic-y feats as opposed to the fighter-y feats like i thought protective ward for the white robes i thought the only comment that i had about that was whoa <laughs> because i thought that was very powerful and basically again it's, it's again it's like bardic inspiration you, you roll a number of d4s equal to the level of the spell slot you expend and reduce the damage that the target takes by the total rolled on the dice that's plus again, that's powerful Right. It, so you, you basically, exactly. It's a, it's like the, the psionic ability there where you, you can expend a psionic die and reduce damage kind of thing. That's um, the only one that I didn't like as much. I thought expending a spell slot for, say, giving up a first level spell slot to reduce 1d4 damage on an incoming attack against a friend, mm-hmm. that's potentially one damage, two damage. Sure. Three da- Heck, even if it's only four damage, I don't want to yeah. give up a first level spell slot for that. How much damage can I do with a first level spell slot? Yeah, it's fair. I, right? I, I think, I it, I think that, that needed better. to be higher. It if it's going to cost the spell slot, it needed to be higher. D6, yeah. I think D6, it would be reasonable. I think D4 might be too low. You know, What level is shield? One. Right, so we're talking about expending a first level spell slot. Couldn't you simply sum this yeah. up with... A number of times per day, you can use your reaction to cast a protective ward that that mirrors the effects of a shield spell. Because yeah, bumps the AC by five and makes them immune to magic missile. But that so that wouldn't count for like fireball. True, and that's the whole thing is that it's damage reduction as opposed to contact avoidance. Yeah, giving up your spells is. That's like your stuff, bro. That's what you You do. You would never use that ability if you were a warlock. Oh, God. No, nope, no, no. absolutely not. I'll be honest. I wouldn't use it often if I was a wizard. Actually, I don't think I'd use I it ever use if it. I was I would. I, I could see using it as a wizard. When we did our wizard subclass warfare, uh, there were spells that I still had on the deck. Okay, yep. fair enough. There there are situations where, as the wizard, I would. Yep, yep. And, it's and, the end of and, a battle. And honestly, I'm about to get eaten. Yeah. To save one of you guys from getting eaten. I absolutely would have dumped a bunch of spells to do that because having an extra body in there where you could have yep. then cast another spell would have made a different, a, that would have been a deal breaker. That was success or failure. One more round is yep. success or failure there. So I absolutely would have used that ability in the uh, class warfare. Give me two D4 per spell level 
I'll yeah. do it. I, I mean, I'm, D6 I'm works fine. Well, but D6 can well, still be D6 one. D6 still leaves you the possibility of the one. The 2D4 yeah. cuts that out, so you're at least going to get two. You're not going to get yeah. totally effed, and it gives you the yeah. possibility to get up to eight, but mostly it's going to create a range of middle yeah. numbers. Like a D4 plus one or a D4 plus two or something like that. Like it, Maybe that's too much math. I don't know. I like 2D4. Yeah, I like 2D4 too. All right. There are two other feats in here that nest. Divinely yes. favored and divine communications, and yeah. both of them are interesting. They are interesting. But I'm disappointed that there's nothing else in the UA to show how they're going to fit into the world. I actually yep. know how they're going to. It's not in the UA, but it's because they're going to have. They're probably still working out the kinks on how they're going to do clerics and Corin. Mm. And I think those feats nest specifically with them and Paladin. Fair enough. Lacking the information, that mostly raised a question for me. Yep. You know what I mean? They're, they're still decent feats, though Commune is a fifth level spell, but... Yep. Thaumaturgy is no joke either. Thaumaturgy is a bread and butter spell. Yeah. 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 You're a spellcaster. What do you mean you don't thaumaturge? <laughs> but I, 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 do you even thaumaturge, bro? Do you even thaumaturge? Yeah. It made me want to see what they had in store for the divine classes. Yep. I am. I am. My interest is peaked. I am with you. So... All right, let's see if we can go ahead and put a cap on this here. So I am I am enthused by what I see in here. I don't think I'm looking at a cake. I think I'm still looking at batter that is warmer than room temperature, but it's not a cake yet. I think that they I think that there are some things that they need to go ahead and tweak in this. And there, they, I think that there are some things in here that they've tried. The hit dice mechanic that we talked about. There's some other things that they're trying to go ahead and play with to go ahead and see if they resonate and see if they work. I think in some applications they're okay, in some applications they're not. But I like what I see here. I am enthused by this. And I am not just enthused by this because this means that Dragonlance is coming. I'm actually enthused by the content of the UA. I would follow that. And what I really like about this, and this is coming from a content creator standpoint, is what are they giving us here? They're giving us a template for nesting feats. They're giving us a template for backgrounds that couple a feat with, with that ability so so as content creators going into this space we can now say okay so the things we've talked about that we couldn't quite wrap our heads around how to make it work how to make it sing we can now do this now are these the right. perfect examples probably not no, but, but they're a template for any background that's going to lead right into a faction absolutely yep. You see where I'm going with that? That you see where I'm going with that, right? Everybody's picking up what I'm laying down. If I you are building a faction, you now have a general background. You can now do a, a few. They only do two, and I think that's a good number. I think having six and seven feats in a row because characters don't not all characters get enough of them is not yeah. a great idea. But no. two is doable for every character class. Yeah. If that's Maybe what the player an extremely great feat for a third level one. But I think that's the key behind a feat tree, right? Is that you can give them the squire feat to start that isn't great mechanically, but opens up later options. And then that right. second one can be like a, your standard good meaty feat. If you're going to add another one in the feat tree beyond that, that has both of those as prerequisites, that third feat has got to be friggin' killer. Because yeah, if, it, if there's expensive. three, yeah. Yep, it, it's got to be as good as Polar Master, or Weapon Great Weapon Master, or Sharpshooter. It's yep. got to be or Crossbow. It's got to be that. It's got level. to be yep. on that epic feat of all time level yep. to yep. be a third one in the row. And by the yep. way, you don't have to go that far. Two 
is enough to sell yep. the concept, right? Absolutely. If you, have, if you have a faction, you have an entry point, and then you have a higher point where the people who've achieved notoriety get to, yep. and everything else is what the character does. Yep. And other feats that they may get, it's individualized. Totally but the, the, but you have these two things. The faction is built up of these people with this one feat. The yep. faction has leadership lieutenants that are have the second feat. Yep. The people who go beyond that, they're player characters. And I love yep. that concept. I love that this UA gives us that template. It's a template that I am about ready to stamp press and start using. Yep. Totally agree. When does the survey close? Do we know? Anybody have so that? The survey day? normally comes out about two weeks after the UA comes out, and it's open for normally a week or two. So okay. we'll have to, when we get the link to the survey, we will post it, but but we do not have that link yet. Okay, groovy. All right, gentlemen. Very enthused again, like I said, about what we're going to go ahead and see here. Yeah, hope you have a good night. And everybody out there listening, we will talk to you again next time. Have a good night. Adieu. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. You're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible. We would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.